Would you bow with me for just a moment? Now, Father, I pray that we will sense your presence in this room through the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that you will use the words of Scripture and the words that are spoken through your servant to make the way clear. And I pray that not one person in this room, not one, will leave in a few minutes uncertain about their salvation. And so, Father, we love you. I pray you've been pleased with our worship. It is from our hearts. It's filled with adoration and gratitude for the one who gave his only son to die that we might live. And it is in that name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you closed your Bibles earlier, uh, if you would reopen them to 1 John chapter 5. And again, there are um, Bibles in the Purex, or you may have an electronic device, whatever. But open your Bibles. We're going to refer to this passage numerous times this morning. I'll be giving you some other passages that I hope you will jot down in your note-taking. It'll be difficult for you to thumb through and find all of them, but I hope you'll write it down and go back and look at them later. Now, today, we're beginning a new series. My favorite way of preaching and the way I believe God's called me to preach most of the time is expository preaching through books of the Bible. That's been most of my ministry. And recently, we, just a few weeks ago, we finished the book of Philippians. But occasionally, the Lord leads in another direction, and that's where He's leading now. Because I'm beginning a series today on a very important topic. And so we'll be looking at many passages of Scripture through the, the next few weeks. Not a lengthy series, but it's an important one. And the series itself is entitled, What Every Christian Should Know. What Every Christian Should Know. If if you're a physician, there are certain things that you must know as, as a physician. If you go to your doctor tomorrow because you've got a sharp pain in your right side and it's hurting like crazy and you're, you know, you're not able to keep food down and you're hurting, you got a fever, things are not going well. And you go into your doctor and you say, Doc, it's right here. I'm afraid it's my appendix. And he says, what's an appendix? Then you're not going to feel very good about what's going to happen. If you call the plumber to come to your house because your toilet stopped up and you take him to the bathroom and you point it out and he looks at it and says, wow, I've never worked on one of these before, then you probably understand you've made, you've dialed the wrong number. If you're going to be a plumber or you're going to be a physician, if you're going to be an electrician, if you're going to be a lawyer or an engineer, if you're going to be an airline pilot, if you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to be an educator, or whatever it is that God may have called you to do, all of us understand there are some basic things that we should know. And so what about being a Christian? Are there some basic things that we should know? I believe clearly there are 
And that's what the series is all about. What do we need to know? And in some cases, what do we need to know how to do? So the next few weeks will be devoted to that. And today, the beginning point is what I think is fundamentally important to the entire series. And that's the title of the message today. Am I a Christian for certain? Are you? Are you certain? And how did you come to faith in Christ? Maybe there's someone here today who would say, absolutely, I'm a Christian, I'm a church member. Or someone else who would say, of course, I'm a Christian, I've been baptized. Or someone would say, I I think I'm a Christian, my parents are Christian, so aren't I a Christian? Or, are you a Christian today because there came a time in your life when you knew that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? And drawn by the Holy Spirit, you gave all that you are over to Jesus. You repented of your sin. And you confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Is that why you would say today, yes, I am a Christian? Well, am I a Christian for certain is the beginning point for forming the foundation for this series. Because if we have a fumbling grasp on the answer to this question, if we're not certain of the answer to this question, then I'm afraid the rest of the series will not make much sense at all. So this is fundamentally important. There are four questions that I want to ask from the text. The first requires the lengthiest answer, then two, three, and four are relatively short answers. And so the first question that I ask is this, how do I become a Christian? How do I become a Christian? So I invite your attention back to the very first verse of the fifth chapter, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that implies believing all that He claimed for Himself. The Son of God the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Son of God came to this earth to die and arise from the grave to accomplish salvation for sinners. Is that what you believe? John says in the text, those who believe that Jesus is the Christ and all that implies about who He is and was and all that He did, that's what makes a person a Christian. Only those 
who believe the truth about him are born of God. Now, I'm going to read some verses, give you the reference. If you're really speedy with your fingers, you can follow. Otherwise, just jot them down and read them later. John 1.12, the Gospel of John. John wrote five books. He wrote the Gospel of John, three epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he wrote Revelation. In John 1.12, yet to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in Acts, the book of Acts, the fourth chapter and the twelfth verse, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians 3:11 For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. And then 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 5 and 6, 1 Timothy 2:5 and 6, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people And this has now been witnessed to. There are many other passages of Scripture that I could refer to or I could quote this morning, but for the purposes of the message today, I think that is sufficient. So hear me well when I say this, because there are many voices in the world today, particularly in our own culture, many who are saying contrary to what I am about to say. But the Scripture makes it exceedingly clear. It is impossible to be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. It is impossible to be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that clearly and repeatedly. If you look back at verse 1 of the 5th chapter, you'll find the verb there, two verbs there. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, the word believes, the verb tense for believes is present tense. The verb is born is perfect tense. So here's what that means. If I were to give it the literal translation, which is a little stilted and a little awkward, but if that's what we were to say, it would read like this. Everyone who is believing that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It's important. Let me read it again. Everyone who is believing that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That verse tells us that our continual faith... Our continual faith is the result of our new birth, not the cause of it. I'll say that again because it's fundamental to our faith. 
our continual faith is the result of the new birth, not the cause of it. That continual faith is a gift of God from Him to us. And I am so thankful because I know my own heart and my own fumbling fingers and how many times, if it were left up to me, I would have let go of God. Rather, that is not the case. I don't hold on to Him. He holds on to me. I've been born again, therefore I have a continuing faith in Christ for which I am thankful. Now, the faith of God, the faith God grants in salvation is permanent. So you might guess that we're going to come back to that, not necessarily today, but in the series. We'll come back to that fact. Now, by the way, this is also important. As a proof of our saving faith, as a proof of our faith, those who love God will love His children. Now, I want you to look at verse the second part of verse 1. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. When he says loves his child as well, he is referring to the children of God, which is what we are. He is referring to believers. He's referring to Christians. He's referring to the church, to the body of Christ, to the bride of Christ. Sometimes... Well, many times, unfortunately, in my ministerial experience, I've had people say to me, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Or I can't stand the church. Or I despise, I despise the church, but I love Jesus. Well, that is one of two things. Either this is an extraordinarily arrogant person, often the truth, an extraordinarily arrogant person who believes he knows it all and doesn't need the church, doesn't need anybody else. Extraordinarily arrogant. Or this is a person who is sincerely misguided, extraordinarily incorrect about his thinking, one who may think himself knowledgeable of Scripture, but one who is obviously not knowledgeable of Scripture at all. Because the verse tells us not that we love each other in order to be saved, but because we are Christ followers, then we will, as evidence of that, love God's people, brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes people will say that because they've been hurt along the way. So I will say to them, I am sorry for your hurt. But come back and be an integral part of God's people because I promise most of us are going to love you. We're going to encourage you. We want to, we want to be part of the healing process of your life. Not divisive, but healing. But the scripture says, we love God. We love His people. How do we arrive at this place of belief? The question is, how do I become a Christian? So how do we arrive at this place of belief? Well, the Bible makes it clear that before we believe, we are dead in our sin. Now, Paul states it this way in Ephesians, the second chapter. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live 
when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Now, here's the picture. The scripture gives us this, this picture. Before you come to Christ, spiritually speaking, you are a corpse. You're dead. Corpses cannot do anything. I've done more funerals than I could ever remember. And in all those funerals with bodies, sometimes right here or in another place, not once, not once, not once has that corpse ever done anything. No corpse has ever gotten up and spoken. No corpse has started breathing. None have started talking or walking around because a corpse cannot do anything. And the Bible says that before we come to faith in Christ, we are spiritually dead. Therefore, we are unable to do anything. We cannot believe until we are awakened. And that, my friends, is the job of the Holy Spirit. He is the convictor of sin and the convincer of our need of Jesus. Otherwise, unless He speaks, you will remain dead. But the Spirit of God awakens and woos and calls and draws. So then, what happens in your life? That is when you admit that you are a sinner who cannot save himself. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. From this point through the end of this first point, our Bible school kids could come up here and preach the message because they heard it over and over and over again in vacation Bible school. To become a Christian, you admit that you are a sinner who cannot save himself. And then you believe, as the text tells us this morning, you believe, yes, Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sin, who arose from the grave, and I know that He will save me and forgive my sins. So I admit I'm awakened, I'm quickened by the Holy Spirit. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus that He is who the Scripture says He is. And then I confess, meaning I openly, publicly declare, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of my life. For the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, nine. So we repent, we confess, we openly declare, Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord. So we are awakened by the Spirit, we admit, we believe, and we confess, and that is how a person becomes a Christian. For the Bible says in Romans 10.13, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So as we think about that question this morning, am I a Christian for certain? The Scripture tells us how to become a Christian. We are awakened by the Spirit. We admit our need. We believe and we confess And so I simply ask you, has that been your experience at some place in your life? 
Or are you one of those who would say, man, I don't know about all that. Or I thought just being on the church roll was enough. Or I thought because my parents were Christians, that was enough. Or I thought because I got baptized as a baby or I got baptized as a child or even got baptized as an adult, I just thought getting in the water, that's, that's all that I needed to do. If that be the case for you, then I want you to continue to listen this morning because I believe with all my heart that the Spirit of God will speak to you and draw you to Himself. So that leads then to the second question of the morning. What happens when I become a Christian? What happens when I become a Christian? Well, let me say it succinctly. Something supernatural happens. Don't downplay the supernatural. Don't be afraid of the supernatural. But I'll tell you, my friends, when you become a Christian, something supernatural happens in your life because you are transformed from the inside out. You were dead, and now you're alive. That, in my book, is something supernatural. In the 11th and 12th verse of this 5th chapter, the Scripture says, God has given us eternal life. Now, I want you to let that sink in for a minute. You who were a corpse have been given eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We have life in Christ. Something amazing happens when we become a Christian. In Romans, the 8th chapter... Paul words it like this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, you have been, who were once a corpse, have been made alive, and you've been set free from the power of sin. Extraordinary what God does. And then in that eighth ver- chapter and the ninth verse, it says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So what the text tells us is that the Spirit of God enters into your life at the moment of salvation. The Spirit of God comes into your life. He quickens your heart and He places inside of you a desire to love and please and obey God. Obedience is the result of salvation, not the cause of salvation. So what is it that happens? I leave you with these four thoughts about point number two to succinctly sum it up. Here's what happens, at least these four things, when you become a Christian. Number one, every sin of yours is forgiven. Every single rotten, wretched, stinking sin of yours is forgiven. And listen to what God does with those sins. In Micah, the seventh chapter, it says, You will have compassion on us, you will tread our sins underfoot, and you will hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I love that word picture because it says God takes your sin, forgives them, and casts them into the depths of the sea, 
And that is, in its deepest point, the sea is several thousand feet deeper than Mount Everest is high. And I like to call that the dropping off point for our sins. That's where God leaves them, right there. And then, additionally, in the 103rd Psalm, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. And God always, always, always words it perfectly. He does not say, as far as the north is from the south, because we would say, oh, I know how far that is, because I know where the North Pole is, and I know where the South Pole is. So right there, it is a finite number of miles from north to south. But that isn't what He says. God, in His infinite wisdom, says, as far as the east is from the west, have I cast your sins off from you. How far is that? We don't no, because we don't know where the east ends and the west begins, or the west ends and the east begins. With all due respect to St. Louis and to Fort Worth, who both claim the title of where the west begins, we don't know where the east ends and the west begins, and that's why God words it that way in the 103rd Psalm, because it's infinity. God casts our sins so far away that we will never be able to find them again. They're gone. And that's what God does in our lives. Your sin is forgiven. The second thing that happens when when Jesus comes into your life is that the Holy Spirit, Jesus through the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells inside of you and He gives you what I call the three P's. That is peace, power, and purpose. The Holy Spirit comes in and gives you peace, power, and purpose. Then the third thing that happens when, when you give your life to Christ is that when you die or when Jesus comes again, whichever is first, you will go to be with Him. For Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then the fourth thing that happens when you become a believer is that you are a new creation. For 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So there may be more than those four things, but for purposes of today, here's what we need to know. When we give our lives to Christ, these four things happen. Every sin is forgiven. The Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. When you die or Christ returns, you go to be with Him, and you're a new creation. You've been transformed, and you're in the process of being transformed from the inside out. Now, the third question of the morning is this. If If I am really a Christian, what kind of person should I be? If I'm really a Christian, what kind of person should I be? That is, what is the result, not the cause, but the result of my salvation? If you look back at verses 2, 3, 4, and 5 in chapter 5, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So I leave you with four things in answer to question three. Here is what kind of person you should be, according to Scripture, in this text. Number one, you will love God. 
you will love God. If you become a Christ follower, you will love God. Number two, you will obey His Word. Now that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. None of us are. None of us ever will be until we're in His presence. But your heart's desire is one of obedience. And and that rules and oversees and governs your life. You love God and, and, and you obey God. And when you do falter and sin along the way, you will as quickly as possible confess that sin and make it right. So the evidence of your being a Christian and the kind of person that you should be if you're a Christian is you love God, you obey God. Number three, you love believers. Remember first verse about loving the children of God? Now, if you want more proof, if that's not sufficient, then First John chapter 3, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Now, John really gets pointed here. He kicks us in the shins and steps on our toes or gives us a warning, whatever way you want to take it. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister, get your attention. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a bad boy or a bad girl. No, uh-uh. that's too soft. Here's what he says. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. Whoa. Can I assume, God, that you take that seriously? (laughs) You call me a murderer. Is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Oh, you mean I need to kind of review things, make sure I really am a Christian? Uh, Perhaps that's what John's saying. Now, if you want to know what Jesus said... John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Even him, even her, even him, even her. So, what kind of person should we be? We love God, we obey His Word, we love fellow believers who Paul calls the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. And then also, fourthly, you'll have confidence that you belong to Him. You will have confidence that you belong to Him. If you look at the 10th verse in chapter 5, that verse says, Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Okay, I accept it. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. Okay, so get the, if I, okay, I'm listening. Yeah, I got it. Okay, I believe your testimony, God. It's a testimony of the Holy Spirit which speaks to my heart. It's a testimony of your word which says in the following, the verses that follow, and this is the testimony. God's given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, I got it. I believe it. I have confidence. I, I've got confidence that I belong to you because that's what the Word says. And if you want to know what Jesus says about it, then go back to John chapter 5 and, and verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. 
pretty, pretty plain. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Okay. So, if I'm really a Christian, what kind of person should I be? You'll be one who loves God, one who obeys God's word, one who loves fellow believers, and one who has confidence that he belongs to God. Secure. I don't walk around destroying my spiritual life because I spend half my time battling doubt about whether I really belong to God or not. Dispense with that. Get it settled so you'll know and you devote all your energy to what God calls you to do. Now that brings us to the last question. We're done. Last question. Can I really know for certain that I'm a Christian? Can I really know for certain that I'm a Christian? Simple yet profound answer found in the 13th verse that we look at one more time today. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may think, guess, wish, hope. What does it say? So that you may know that you have eternal life. So the answer to the question, can I really know for certain that I'm a Christian, is yes. 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 I'll never forget the profound hurt I felt in my heart for my neighbor in one of our previous cities whose wife was rushed to the hospital having apparently had a stroke and did not look good at all. And I sat with him in his house until family could get there. And I perceived that faithful churchgoers, lovers of the Lord, didn't go to our church, another denomination, but they were faithful, godly people. We loved them dearly. And he was saying, I don't think she's going to make it. I don't think she's going to make it. And I said, but you know, if she doesn't, you know she's going to be in heaven with the Lord. And he looked at me and he said, it shook his head this way, and he said, I hope so. I mean, you could have punched me in the gut with a hammer and it wouldn't have jolted me any more than that. I thought, what do you mean, I hope so? You can know. You don't have to hope. You can know for certain that you belong to Christ. Listen to Jesus as our final words before we pray. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep, that's us. Good morning, fellow sheep. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Read it again. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So, fumbling grip on salvation doesn't need to stay that way. Do you need to nail it down? Do you need to be certain? Make it certain today. If you are certain, praise God. And keep on being obedient to the one you love and the one who loves you. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, um, thank you for your precious word. 
Thank You that Your Word is so clear about how we can belong to You. And thank You for providing the way through Your Son Jesus, who died for us and arose from the grave for us, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might have eternal life, that we might have peace and and purpose in our hearts and in our lives. So, Father, there may be one, two, three, there may be a dozen, there may be more than that in this room who either do not know Jesus and know they don't, or who aren't certain. And I pray, Father, that they will make it certain this morning. Now, in a moment, we'll stand. The praise team will lead us, and we'll sing a song of invitation. There's some here today who... Who either know, I know, I know I don't belong to Jesus, or I'm not sure whether I belong to Jesus. And right now the Holy Spirit is drawing, wooing, and calling you. You sense it, you know it. So in a moment when we stand, I ask you to respond to that prompting, that calling of the Spirit, and make your way to the front and place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you. Don't wait for another day. But settle this issue today. Know for certain when you leave this room that you are indeed a Christian. And for those of us who know, pray for those around you and rejoice in your soul for the goodness of God. The praise team leads us. Let's stand. You come as we sing.